So one thing that we will be asking you to do a lot in the transformation intensive is the thing called the examine. And you've done that a little bit. We did it last week. You'll do it maybe during the week. Maybe you did it this week. But the idea of the examine, right, is to go through your day and think about what happened in that day. So I want to start tonight with a very tiny mini examine. It will be unlike any other examine we ever do in this group, and it will be somewhat fun. Are you ready? You need to put your thinking caps on just for a moment, because I want you to review your day, but I want you to think of only one thing. Now, I will explain the one thing, but I will give you only about 15 seconds to have this short examine. So you have to be ready and you have to be able to, you know, just like buckle down and use your brain for about 15 seconds, it's all I ask. The one thing I want you to think about is this day, this one day of your life, how many doorways did you walk through? How many thresholds? So that could be getting up and going from your bedroom to your bathroom, leaving your bathroom and going back to your bedroom, that counts again, going into the hallway, going into the kitchen, leaving the house, getting into the car, make sense? At work, going into a new office, going into a meeting, everything counts as a doorway. And I want you just to try and guess how many doorways you went through today. Are you ready? Get set and go. All right, now this is just an estimate. For those of you who are statisticians or math people, you're probably still going to keep thinking about this. So the, the really important exercise now is to stop counting. You have to stop. How many did you come up with? Anybody? 55, 32, 68, 100. Someone I talked to said over 200 doorways in one day. Okay, so now stop counting. You don't get to keep thinking, wait, oh, I forgot this doorway. Because <laughs> I do have something that I want to talk about. Because in my brain, I've been thinking about doorways. And I'll tell you why. About two months ago, I got the chance to go to Portland, Oregon. Great friends there. It's sort of the hipster capital of the world. And so whenever we go there, we go to this big bookstore in downtown Portland called Powell's Books. And if you ever go there, I highly recommend it. It's got meandering hallways of books, thousands and thousands of books, three different levels, and you could just spend hours there, which we did. I must have picked up over 100 books while I was there. But of those books that I picked up and perused and read little snippets of, there was one thing that sort of lodged itself in my brain, and I, for two months it comes and goes, and that was this little snippet on doorways. It was a section called Entering New Spaces, the Mindfulness of Doors. Now, it was Portland. It was its, you know, hipster place. I'm not surprised that I found this little snippet on the mindfulness of doors. And no matter what you think about the whole mindfulness movement and how it sort of moved from this hip new age idea to sort of empirically based research and biologically based research of, of the importance of mindfulness and paying attention to where you are right now and what you do right now, a lot of what we'll talk about is paying attention. And so this thing about doorways just sort of stuck with me. And I thought, I sort of like this idea 
you know, the transition. I walk from one space and I physically, with my whole body, say yes to something else. And I say no and I say goodbye to what I walked away from. And we do that all day long with our bodies. But do we ever pause just for a second and say, I'm leaving that behind. I am entering this. And it's sometimes that we go through very difficult doorways. Sometimes we know that the space we're about to enter in is a tough space. And sometimes those doorways are just amazing and wonderful. I still, to this day, remember the second that I stepped through the doorway of my son and daughter-in-law's door and into their bedroom where they were holding their brand new baby. And it was my first little grandson. And I saw that face and my life changed forever. That was a doorway that I walked through that was just amazing. Some doors hold surprises for us. But the idea of stopping to pause was an interesting one to me. And it was with this sort of ruminating about doorways that I got up and went to Church of the Resurrection on Sunday. Now, if any of you attended Church of the Resurrection on Sunday morning, you may remember that one of the things that happened at Res on Sunday is we got new doorways. And for the last seven years in the making, these doorways have been in process, and now they are hanging. And if you have not seen them, I highly encourage you to walk past the sanctuary doors because they are these gorgeous doors, and they're so significant because as you walk through those doors, you are walking into a very incredible and special and intentional space where we gather together and where we worship and where there is power and where there is presence in, a, in an exciting way because we're the body of Christ. So take a look at those doors if you have not. They tell the whole story. On one side of those doors is the whole story of Holy Week. And so it's like you're entering into this experience of that. And then the other side starts at the Garden of Eden. It's incredible. And here, tonight, you walked through the doors into this space. And it's with reason that we put this little sign there that says, Enter in Silence. Because we want you to almost, not just with your body, but with your mind and your spirit, take pause and say, this is a new space that I'm walking into tonight. And God, I am ready for transformation. I'm ready for what you have for me. And if you think of it, I, you know, then, then I think in a, a week before that, John 10, 9 came to my mind where Jesus says, I am the door. I am the salvation. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. So I was teasing that out a little bit with the idea of, of TI and what we do here and taking it to, to sort of that other level of as we ask you guys to do different types of prayer experiences and different things and different readings that maybe you're not familiar with, there will be doorways in your mind and in your heart. 
And it will be like entering a new space, and sometimes those doorways won't feel so comfortable. Sometimes you might open it just a crack and say, eee, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know what's on the other side. Sometimes they'll feel extremely natural and open by themselves, and it will be like, oh, wow, this just opened up a whole new experience for me. And so I think it's just a night, you know, sort of a, a great idea to think of that and think of the idea of doorways. As much as we want to live, you know, even going through our memories and thinking through how God has been gracious in our past, it's here in this moment. It's here as you are living through that memory of God's grace that God meets you. It is that awareness of right now. And the other one verse in John, a couple chapters later, that I also think is a fascinating one, and I had to just sit with this one for a while. It says, eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This is after the resurrection. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus just broke through those doors. And I thought, that's what I want, Jesus. Just do that for me. If I'm holding a door shut, break through. And that's what I pray for all of us as we go through Transformation Intensive. Doorways. The idea of <clears throat> examine in mind, I want to lead us through a gratitude examine. And I like to think of, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I like to think of the examine as kind of like a CAT scan or, or an MRI that just kind of like scans up and down. But it's not scanning your body, it's scanning your day. It's scanning and looking where... Uh, God, where you notice God in your day and notice your response to him in your day. So we're going to go through the, the gratitude examine and <clears throat> set aside everything that you're holding and uh, get comfortable so that you can focus. Become present to God and aware of God's loving gaze upon you. Take a few deep breaths and relax into this way of prayer. Notice God's presence dwelling in you and all around you. Notice a few things that immediately come to mind for which you are grateful. Nothing is too big or small. Express your thanks and then invite the Holy Spirit to illumine your memories 
of the past 24 hours. Remembering last night, how you slept, this morning, waking up, starting your day, into midday, the afternoon, early evening. Holy Spirit, in each of these moments, I welcome you into my recollections of this day. I want to notice what needs noticing so that I can recognize God's love and generosity towards me in the world around me. Help me notice and give you thanks for all the people and circumstances and events of my life that reveal your love and care for me. the hours replay in your mind, be aware of the varied dimensions of your experience. Notice the things that you encountered through your five senses, what you saw, heard, smelled, tasted, and felt with your hands and on your skin. Recall faces of the people who crossed the path of your life today. Notice any details of conversations or interactions that present themselves in your review.
memories from your past, if any, presented themselves to you today? Savor and linger over anything for which you're most grateful during this time of prayer and expressing your gratitude to God, speaking directly to him. Give voice to what you notice, what bubbled up, what stood out. And then turning to notice any ingratitude. Lord, I want to notice any ingratitude I have in relation to you and other people. I give you permission to show me the ways that I've been ungrateful. there any material created thing in my life that I struggle to appreciate? Is there someone in my life right now that I fail to appreciate as my own, as your own beloved creation. And if any memories presented themselves, is the Holy Spirit drawing my attention to something for which I was ungrateful or unaware? 
and speaking directly to God, give voice to what you've noticed during this time of prayer. Forgive me, Lord, for all the ways, large and small, that I have been ungrateful. Thank you, Lord, for this gift of my life. And then rest in God's profound love and forgiveness. Let your experience of the last 24 hours rest securely in God's hands. And then focusing forward, call to mind what awaits you tomorrow. Ask for growing gratitude in the various areas of your life, especially the ones you find most challenging. concluding with the Lord's Prayer, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. I want to orient you towards the upcoming week of prayer, and then George will lead us in another prayer experience after that. If you're following along in your transformation intensive notebook, we're on page 23, the first movement, week two, God's love in my life story. (laughs) 
So um, let me begin by giving you some general suggestions that might perhaps be called um, suggestions to grow in the art of prayer. Uh, prayer really is an art form. And then after I do that, I'll lay out the two particular prayer exercises that we will be working on this week. Um, the first is that it's just a, to try to help you adjust your thinking. The transformation intensive is not a course, but a retreat. As you may remember from boot camp, we're doing transformation intensive. What we're doing here is, is something that Ignatius of Loyola envisioned being done in one of two ways, either in solitude over the course of 30 days or over the course of about 30 weeks in daily prayer, which is what we're doing. In this version, this form of uh, making the spiritual exercises is sometimes called a retreat in everyday life or an at-home retreat. Uh, we chose not to use those names just because I just find them kind of uninspiring, I guess. Um, but I think we do sometimes lose the fact that this is meant to be a retreat. And so in the same way that if you were going away for a few days of retreat and you would know I will be changing my routine. For example, I'm planning on going away for a few days this weekend and I'm, um, I'm not taking my phone, I'm not taking my computer, I'm uh, bringing some reading material, I'm planning my menus. There are going to be changes that happen because I'm on retreat. We can't do the same thing when we're doing this retreat in everyday life, but we do need to make adjustments. So I want to encourage you, if you find that you're struggling with the foreground prayer, maybe not getting to it or not being too distracted when you get to it, to just keep being open to the ways that you might want to adjust your life in practical ways to make more room for prayer. Any adjustments that you make, sacrifices you make, I think you'll be really glad that you made them. I think it'll really pay off for you in the long run. The second one is to learn to slow down and enjoy your prayer. Every time we do this, there are a number of people who will say, um, boy, I felt like I just had to rush through it so I could get to all of it. And I just want to let you know that no one is expecting you um, to do that. Uh, occasionally someone will say, you know, I got through everything and I ran out of stuff to do. And if, I, if someone says that, unless I know they actually just have hours upon hours to pray, it probably means that they're going too fast. So be open to just slowing things down. It's better to do fewer things and to really relish them and enjoy them than to rush through. And related to that is just the importance to notice any kind of like performance mentality that you might be bringing to this. Uh, some people really enjoy just like checking everything off. There's just a kind of satisfaction that comes and if you bring that as your attitude, as your mindset to this, I think you'll find um, that that will get in the way. Uh, worst case scenario is that we can actually think of ourselves as being in competition with others. You know, if for some reason you're in your small group time, you come out of it thinking, I'm taking this a lot more seriously than most people, uh, that's probably an indicator that, you know, you might have a little performance mentality thing going on. <laughs> So uh, not that I would know anything about that, but um, 
if you if you feel these things, all you need to do is is just to ask for the grace, to have really an open and generous heart, and to be really actually quite patient with yourself as you grow. And in time, you'll find that your prayer takes on a new depth and becomes something that you really look forward to each day. But that's not something that necessarily happens in the first two weeks of this. It grows slowly over time. The third is the importance of paying attention to consolation. You'll hear the word consolation and we'll teach on it. But I want to encourage you when you're trying to sort through where do you want to focus on the many things that we give you to read and the different prayer exercises, that you want to focus on where you're experiencing consolation in your prayer. Let me remind you that if your timer is set or your candle is burning, whatever you do during that time counts as prayer. So in that expanse of time, maybe you read an article one day, the next day you pray with scripture, you're writing down some memories, notice where, where is the consolation, pay attention to it. And similarly, if you experience desolation in your prayer, notice that as well. For example, if right now as we're doing this life review, you find it like so depressing that you can hardly stand it, don't force yourself to go there. And make sure your listening group leader knows. If you're really having a hard time, ask for help. Ask for um, some guidance and some encouragement. Uh, it's especially important, actually, to be gentle with yourself when praying with memories. Uh, memories have kind of a will of their own. And if they are not ready to present themselves, they cannot be forced. It's almost as though memories are shy. For example, if you're sitting in a prayer time trying very hard to remember and it's just not working for you, you might try changing what you're doing. Take a walk. Timer's still running, right? Take a walk. Shift your focus away from the memory. Uh, the memory may present itself to you when you least expect it, more in those background times of prayer. Sometimes really all that we can do is say, Lord, I'm open. I really want to be open. And I invite you to influence my memories. I want to remember anything you want me to remember. So that kind of takes the pressure off of having to be overly systematic and make sure you didn't miss anything. Um, it's just this openness. Lord, whatever you want me to remember, that's what I want to remember. Uh, my fourth suggestion is that you practice the examine in the way that works best for you. Ignatius encouraged people to pause both at midday and at the end of the day to pray uh, the prayer of examine. Um, and if you are, some people like kind of get the hang of this right away and it really works for them. Maybe there's an app that you listen to or a recording you listen to and it just, it really works for you. Um, if, if you're finding consolation there, you might actually experiment, experiment with doing it a little more frequently, um, either doing it in the middle of the day or maybe at a natural transition point in your day. It's, I found it effective, for example, when I come home after being in the office for a while and maybe my husband's not home from work yet or I need to cook dinner, but like I go through a little routine, you know, I like I change my clothes I sit down in my study, even for like five minutes, ten minutes, to use those transition times to pray uh, this prayer of examine. Uh, 
you need to do what works best for you. And um, you may find that doing this right before you go to sleep is not the best for you. But honestly, if you are so tired that you pray the examine laying flat on your bed while falling asleep, there are worse things. You know, there are many, many worse things. So not that that is like the ideal way to do it, but I just encourage you to keep ex experimenting with this. And then my final suggestion for you is that you follow the breadcrumbs. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Um, my understanding of how God leads people and directs them has changed over time. For a long time, I had what might be called a um, command theory of divine guidance. And so I wanted God to communicate with me exactly what he wanted me to do in a precise and preferably dramatic fashion. Um, I don't think this is because I am like a drama queen. I think it's because this is like people have told me about this like dramatic kind of guidance. And so I've been like, you know, lay it on me, Lord. I'm waiting for that angelic visitation or that, you know, some bishop to prophesy over me or whatever. Um, this sort of flair for thinking that if God's communicating with us, it will be dramatic. Um, and he does do that from time to time. But in actual fact, he is, I believe, guiding us all the time. But the way he's guiding us is more like leaving a little trail of breadcrumbs along the way for us to follow. And so I have to learn to pay attention to the small things, and especially these gifts of consolation that are given. We practice paying attention to the consolation in our prayer time. It's almost like we're trying to uh, exercise a, a muscle, develop an aptitude for noticing consolation in our prayer time. And in, in time, these skills can be used not only in our prayer time, but in other times uh, during our life. So um, let me encourage you just to pay attention to these little breadcrumbs of consolation. And uh, don't be afraid to use your journal to capture those. Okay, now let me orient you towards the week of prayer that is ahead. And there are two practices I want to mention to you. Uh, the first begins on page 25. Um, I adapted this from a mentor of mine named Bill Creed, who is a, a Jesuit in Chicago. And uh, you'll see this little quote from him um, there right at the introduction. The present moment is the only moment in an, incarnationally, in an incarnational spirituality where God is alive and active. Um, so even when we're praying with memories, it's not as though we are asking uh, for some sort of like, you know, step into the TARDIS and go back in time. We're actually hoping and asking for uh, the grace to work with our memories and bring them into the present moment. So here's a fun little quote for you from Screwtape Letters. Um, and th this is the voice of one of the devils, and he's trying to encourage his apprentice to um, focus on getting his patient to not live in the present moment. Because if his patient lives in the present moment, he's more likely to encounter God. And of course, if you're a devil, you do not want people encountering God. So better to keep them away from the present moment. So this is um, a little quote from that. Uh, humans live in time, 
but God destines them to eternity. He therefore wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to the point in time in which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience of what God has of reality as a whole. It alone, in it alone, freedom and actuality are offered to them. So in this exercise, you'll take the memories that started to bubble up last week and may be continuing to bubble up through this week. And we're asking for our capacity to notice and savor the gifts of consolation that God has given to us in the past by praying with them in the present moment. And as we meditate, we become more, um, more deeply on these memories of consolation. It's then that we get this clearer picture of how God has actually been actively loving us throughout all our lives. So uh, the first part of this is um, a, a, actually a theological word that comes from the understanding of what happens for us in Holy Communion, which is that we bring the work of Christ into the present. Uh, so this work of anamnesis is to bring the memory from the past into the present moment. And so you choose a memory that you want to pray with. A memory from last week, surprised by joy exercise would be perfect, or whatever happens to come to mind. And allow yourself just to kind of um, reminisce. Uh, enter back into the memory and allow the memory to become a part of your present moment. Um, and then I like to do this while I'm writing. You wouldn't have to. You could also do this uh, without writing. But in a sentence or two, um, using the present tense, and this is, this is really helpful to use the present tense while you're writing, um, jot down what you remember as though you are presently in the experience. So this is an example from my own um, journal. So this is what I wrote down as my initial memory. Um, I am sitting in my car in a parking lot. Suddenly, a flock of birds flies over just a few feet above the roof of my car. For some strange reason, it makes me cry, and the tears make me feel more alive. So that, that was all there was to that memory. I was just like, wow, I remember that day those birds flew by, and I was like crying in the car. What's up with that? But that was the memory that presented itself. So then in a few sentences, um, now you're, you're analyzing a little more. Notice and describe the context surrounding that memory, uh, what was going in your on in your life at that time. And list two or three significant events or people in, in this particular present moment. It can include activities, mental health um, or illness, uh, physical health or illness, academic experiences, spiritual experiences, social events in your family, your job, uh, even world events. Um, and then pick a few significant details that are connected to this present moment and just list them. No need to fully describe them. Uh, and you're just having a receptive attitude regarding the particular details that might come to mind. Uh, so for example, again, writing in the present tense, uh, this is what I wrote. Uh, this is a sad time in my life. I am unemployed. I am missing the people I used to work with and the meaning that came out of my job. 
I cannot think of anything to look forward to in my life. My body is tense and anxious. I have a lot of regrets. I am lonely, and I feel far away from God. The day is overcast. It is the beginning of winter, and I am already sick of it. So I allow myself just to let those feelings the feelings of that experience to, in some ways, re-experience them to let them come into the present moment. And then in a few sentences, notice and describe where, where was the consolation. Uh, in this example, uh, as I continue to pray with this memory and let it replay in, my pre in the present moment, um, I turn off the car. It is very quiet. Suddenly, a noise like a train engine startles me. I feel a little frightened because I don't know what could make such a noise. Then, though I can't see them yet, I recognize that what I'm hearing are large birds beating the air with their wings. Then I hear the birds honking, and I know it is a flock of geese. I crane my head to look up at them as they fly over me, and suddenly I laugh. I feel joyful and privileged to have witnessed this event. My anxiety and regret have little, literally flown away with the geese off into the sunset. Um, so in, in that memory, even though it, it, it unfolds, right, as I'm praying with it, and even though this was a very dark time in my life, when I'm remembering this particular moment of consolation, there's this awareness in the present moment, oh, God was loving me even then. So let me encourage you just to pray with your memories in this way. And if you, if you want to add just another layer to that, you might think in terms of our liturgical year and especially of the passion of Christ. You know, in, in your life, where do you connect? Was this a moment of um, suffering? Was this like that dead time between the, the crucifixion and the resurrection was, you know, was this a good time, a bad time? Where was it? So there's a few clues here. Okay. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is looking at God, looking at me. Um, I think Kate Laney is here, and she's going to come up here in just a few minutes and uh, say something. Um, but let me introduce this uh, to you. First of all, before I have you turn to it in your notebook, I want to describe... Um, the idea. No, I'm not going to do that. We'll, we'll read it first. So if you'll turn to uh, your prayer resource section, page five, looking at God, looking at me. I hope that you find this prayer exercise helpful not only for, um, the tr for transformation intensive, but like for the rest of your life. I hope this is a really enriching prayer exercise for you. Um, in the text of the spiritual exercises, Ignatius has uh, a list of additional instructions that he calls the additions, and uh, this is the third of the additions, and it's just a few sentences that, when you unfold them, are quite significant. This is what he says. A step or two away from the place where I will make my contemplation or meditation, I will stand for the length of an Our Father. I will raise my mind and think of how God our Lord is looking at me 
and other such thoughts, and then I will make an act of reverence or humility. Uh, practically what this can look like, you can actually do this with your body. I've done this occasionally. I sit down at my desk, which is where I usually pray, and I'll actually like get up from my desk and stand behind my chair and um, sort of put myself in God's mindset, like maybe he'd be standing behind me as I'm praying, or maybe he's sitting in the, Jesus is sitting in the, in the chair uh, next to me, and I let, just let my imagination fill in this sense of what does it mean that like while I'm praying, God sees me, that he's looking at me. Uh, the 17th century monk, um, French Carmelite monk, Brother Lawrence, made popular a way of prayer called practicing the presence of God. Has anyone heard of that, practicing the presence of God? He advised people to continually turn their attention toward God as a way of mental prayer. Similarly, for centuries, Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church have endeavored to experience a more constant connection with God by praying the name of Jesus continually throughout the day. Has anyone ever tried that? Pray the name of Jesus continually throughout the day? A few of you, right? Um, Ignatius of Loyola adds another layer to this way of prayer. He builds on that tradition. In his tips for getting more out of prayer during the first part of the spiritual exercises, he recommends trying to think how God, our Lord, is looking at me. This simple mental act of acknowledging the profound reality that God's love for us is antecedent. It comes before our love for God. So prior to our decision to contemplate God in prayer, God is contemplating us, each of us, in a personal and relational way. Such attentiveness towards us calls forth a response of love from us towards God. As the Apostle John says, we love because he first loved us. In effect, Ignatius exclaims, God is practicing your presence right now. Pause for a moment and take that in. One of the ways I like to... um, explain this, the simplicity and the power of this is to say a little bit about my dog, Andy. Now, Andy died a few weeks ago, so I'm not planning on crying when I read this, but just to let you know. Uh, if that happens, it, it just could happen. Uh, so my dog, Andy, and I had a very, very close bond. He was very attached to me. He thought I was awesome. Everything I did was awesome. He was my biggest fan. And because of that attachment, he was just very attentive to me all the time. So if I was at home and he was awake, he was looking at me. He would position himself wherever he was so he could see me and keep his eye on me. And any time I would suddenly think, where's Andy? And I would turn to look for him, there he would be. Looking at me, and as soon as he realized I was looking at me, what would he do? Any dog lovers here, what would he do? What happens when you look at your dog? Right, they start wagging their tail, right? And you smile, and all of a sudden you've got this like neurological thing going on between your brain and the dog's brain, and uh, it's wonderful. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I was thinking about this as well when I was at the airport uh, this weekend. I was standing in this very, very long security line in Denver, and uh, there was this little baby in a stroller, 
And he was looking around, and all of a sudden, the man in front of me, he fixed his eyes on that man. And I saw the man, like, do a double take when he realized that this baby was, like, staring right at him, you know. And uh, as soon as the man looked at him, you know, the baby's face lights up. You know, and the man's like, I don't even know who you are, but you're making my day, baby, you know. Um, this, this is this beautiful, like, brain-to-brain, creature-to-creature connection. Um, and this is really actually what we're trying to get at, that if we have a relationship with God, then there has to be this, this heart-to-heart seeing of one another. Um, so with that, Kate, come up and say a little bit about your experience of praying this way. everyone. Um, Yeah, so I thought I'd share just a little bit about um, where I started with this prayer and then kind of how it changed. Um, So kind of how I was practicing, started practicing looking at God, looking at me. Um, So I'm a very visual person and I'm very comfortable using my imagination in prayer. And so the way that I accessed this was trying just to envision, okay, Jesus sitting across from me. Um, And so the first time I did this, I was sitting in my little armchair Um, where I did my TI prayer, and I just had this picture of Jesus in kind of plain white robes um, looking at me. And it honestly, I felt a little presumptuous, right? Like having that, trying to have that picture of Jesus. Um, But he had an expression of love in his eyes, um, and I felt a sense of peace and companionship. And so I thought, okay, well, this is, this is nice. Like, this is great. Um, But I didn't, maybe didn't feel that profound, right? Um, but I continued to try to practice this. And, and what it evolved into was I would wake up in the morning or um, be driving in my car and just sort of bring my awareness to God being right next to me. And so it, it transitioned sometimes from like me trying to see him to just giving having a sense of his eyes on me and being aware of his love and his tenderness and his desire just to be my companion. Um, And so that really began to teach me his delight in my presence, like his desire to be with me all the time. Um, And it was a way for me to kind of practice that ongoing prayer. Um, And then a few weeks into practicing this, I I had a prayer experience um, where I was doing another spiritual exercise and Um, as I was starting to pray, um, this image popped into my mind of Jesus in jeans and a t-shirt sitting across from me. And I was out in the forest preserve, and so he was dressed appropriately for the (laughs) forest preserve. And um, it sort of startled me because I didn't feel like this was something I was trying to imagine, but like he just sort of showed up. Um, And as I prayed about it and thought about it, I just had the sense of the Lord telling me that, you know, I had invited him to use my imagination in this way. Um, And so even though it felt a little unusual, um, he was, he was using that to reveal himself to me and, and to show me that, um, you know, part of my inheritance in the Holy Spirit is experiencing his real presence in all these different ways in whatever picture in whatever sense that that is. Um, And I had feared being too presumptuous, and I really heard the Lord speaking to me that my sin was not presuming, um, but asking and expecting too little, that he wants us to 
presume on his love and to ask for that sort of intimacy with him um, in those everyday activities. Um, and so that really grounded me in his presence and his friendship, and I hope it does the same for you guys. All right, one last thing. Uh, a note about the readings uh, for this week. So we are back now on page uh, 24. I've asked you to read Finding God in All Things, Chapter 1. Um, can I Trust God Healing Life's Hurts? And this is just a good time to mention that although we're praying about memories of consolation, that oftentimes they are embedded or hidden in some of the worst and most painful periods of our lives. And with this also can come feelings, uh, negative feelings towards God. And I want to simply give you permission to be honest about those feelings. Sometimes we need to let people know that we are really angry with them or that something really hurt our feelings. And for as long as we hold it in and we don't talk about it, it just festers. And this is also true in our relationship with God. So if you find while you're doing this memory, this prayer memory work, that you are angry with God or have any kind of negative feelings towards God, don't repress them. Try to lay them aside, but instead bring the feelings into your prayer. And also just an encouragement that we're not trying to like whitewash anything bad that happened in um, our lives through this, this work of praying with memories of consolation. We don't have to vindicate God. Uh, we don't have to recast our suffering into a positive light. Um, we really want to feel our own genuine feelings, especially as we're praying with memories, and not see them as threatening our prayer, but as something that we bring into our prayer. Okay, George is going to conclude by leading us in a prayer uh, experience. How many of you are familiar with this prayer technique? Okay, so quite a few people, and that's great, That'll, since time is a bit short. I, ju I just want to say a couple things about it before we do it. Um, it's uh, one of my favorite uh, prayer techniques. But one of the things it does, it kind of rings evangelical alarm bells, you know. And, and really, I Googled it uh, actually today just for fun, and... Uh, found a few sites that were saying, this is the doorway to the occult, folks. I mean, that was, that was literally what was said. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I, I don't think that's entirely wrong. I mean, uh, can be. And, and I think there is the right way to do it. Um, so anyway, when you start to use the words meditation and contemplation, uh, there are a lot of Christian palms that get sweaty. All right, because immediately we go to Eastern meditation, you know, and I don't know if about you, but in my day, you know, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was making the rounds of college campuses. You know, Eastern meditation was a big thing. We were all reading the Tao of physics and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it was a rollicking good time. Um, but this mode of prayer, I think, is a wonderful thing and because it brings together scripture and it brings together your inner spiritual life I think in a really powerful way I have prepared I don't know how many sermons and, and delivered them and in many times not have them touch me spiritually at all 
And I can tell you why, you know, now looking back. It's because I operated completely up here. I built up a lot of knowledge, but it never got down into my heart, let alone started really affecting my actions. Or certainly, if it did, it was unconscious. All right? And, that, and that's fine. So um, I, I, I love this form of prayer, and, and I, I encourage it. But the thing that keeps it safe and from, from crossing over into real mysticism and, and, you know, just, well, just we'll just say mysticism, is that we ground it in what the scriptures are actually saying. All right? That's what we're really trying to do. I do this with a, I got this big honking ESV study Bible that I do it in, all right? Because you're going to read a passage of scripture, right? It's Lexio Divina, which is divine reading. You read the passage of scripture, and sometimes I don't understand everything in the passage, right? You know, I, there's a lot in the Bible, and I, I get questions, and I want to make sure I'm not reading into the passage what's not into the, in the passage, right? And when you're looking at a passage, the, I mean, the real big rule is context is king, right? You don't want to just grab something completely out of its context and apply it somewhere wild. So that's why I like having the ESV study Bible. I can get sidetracked into study. Study is not this, all right? Study is something else. It's a good thing, but it's not this, you know? Um, so the four sections we've got up there, reading, you know, just what it says. You read it. I, I like to calm myself down and invite the Holy Spirit into the reading and then begin by reading. And, we're gonna, and you're going to read the passage four times, and we're going to do that here. You begin each section of prayer by reading the passage. And, you know, that's the lexio part. Then reflecting on the meaning. That's the meditatio in the, the classic, right? And, and this is where I let my analytical brain go wild, all right? I can take it apart. I can look up the stuff in my study Bible there. I want to make sure I'm on the right thing. But I start to really think about, I grab a word out of it that really, well, it grabs me. That's the point, right? The Holy Spirit kind of uses the Holy Spirit highlighter and highlights a phrase, maybe just one word, and it's like, okay, that's for me, Lord. And then respond through prayer. And the classical word is oratatio, right? Where you pray back. You know, you, you know, when I put on the analytical side, I come up with questions. You know, and the big question is, how does this apply to me, Lord? How does this apply in my life? So I begin to pray back. And I'm trying to pray from my heart, not just my head. You know, a groaning's too deep to hear, maybe. You know, something that struck me about it. And then resting in God. This is the spooky part, right? I turn off the analytical brain. And I set a timer when I do this. I get a kick out of doing this. It takes me one minute to do the first reading, typically. You don't want to read a big passage, small reading. And then my timer goes one minute, and then it goes ten minutes for the other sections. And that last section, resting in God, I tell you, that is the hardest section for me to begin. I can always think of something. You know, my to-do list is just screaming over on my desk. It's jumping up and down, knocking papers. Oh, I need to. And I, 
but when I hang in there for those that last portion, I am almost always blessed. You know, and my favorite book on this is called Too Deep for Words by, I think it's Thelma Hall. I don't know if anybody knows it, but it's a really wonderful book, and it's very short. Um, but contemplation makes people nervous when you're saying you're contemplating. You're just resting and letting God speak to you. You know, you're just trying to be there like Val with Andy, right? You know, you make the eye contact, the tail starts wagging, you know, you smile, and you've got that contact. That's what you want to be there in the context of the scripture. That's what keeps us safe. I think of scripture as the guardrails on the highway, right? It, you, you can wind up in left field so fast you're standing out there going, how did I get here? The guardrails really keep us safe. That's what scripture really does for us. So without any further ado, I think that's most of what I said. I want to say, let's do this. Yeah, we're, okay. Well, you know, it's like any of these other prayer techniques. You can go as long or you can compress it, but we just want to have the experience, and I hope you'll take it deeper yourself. So you can keep your journal. Just set everything else aside. And we're going to go from Isaiah 43 uh, is the, the selection. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come among us. Open our hearts. Help us lay aside the cares of the day and focus on your word. But now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Hopefully something in there impacted you, a word or a phrase. Now as I read it again, I encourage you to just think about it. Meditate it. Think about it before God. You know, maybe you know the context in Isaiah, or you could look that up, or whatever might be a connection to you, other scriptures that come to mind. Hear the word again. 
But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. After the next reading, express your love and desires to God in silent prayer. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, cushion Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And finally, resting in God in contemplation. Just listen, feel, experience, shut down that analytical part, 
Just be in love with your Lord and let it revolve around this whatever nugget you took from the scripture. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who redeemed you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, cushion Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Amen. If you have anything that you need to record so you can review it in your journal, make a note. But I'd ask you then to move in silence to your groups pretty quickly. <laughs> 